So let us begin anew, remembering on both sides that civility is not a sign of weakness, and sincerity is always subject to proof. Let both sides explore what problems unite us, instead of belaboring those problems which divide us. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Achieve Great Things. This is episode two. In this episode, we're going to talk to Jim Williams, a, a friend of mine and um, an analyst at public policy polling. He gives us some good uh, context and good insight on um, the state of political polling, um, where we're going with this current administration, and some some good uh, tips for communicators to think about. Hope you enjoy. I'm here with Jim Williams. Jim is a polling analyst with public policy polling and is a great friend of mine, someone I've known for a long time, and someone whose perspective and uh, and intelligence I respect a lot. So, Jim, thanks for joining us. Thanks, RJ. Good to be here. Jim, we want to talk a little bit about um, your work for public policy polling, things that you're seeing, your perspective now in this sort of new political environment in 2017. But um, before we get into that, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and, um, and how you ended up working in polling? Sure. Uh well, again, I just want to say thanks for having me on. It's uh, good to talk to you. And, uh, you know, I've always been interested in politics. I think I decided I wanted to work on political campaigns when I was a te- uh, teenager. And um, I studied political science uh, in college. I think you probably did, too. And uh, when college ended, I just went ahead and started working on campaigns, you know, starting on the ground floor as a field organizer uh, in Iowa and um, on a presidential campaign. And I worked on several campaigns after that. Uh, you and I worked on one together, a uh, Senate race in 2004. We did. Uh, when, we were just little, when we were just little kids. Um, that's how we met. And, uh, yeah, I worked on campaigns for a long time. Uh, I worked on. I ended up working on one that finally won uh, for governor of North Carolina in 2008. And I had an opportunity to take a government, state government job after that. Uh, and I did that for about three years, working in state government for the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services. And that sort of gave me an opportunity to kind of see things from the other side, from the governing side, uh, which was fun and all, but uh, I, I, I did eventually feel like I needed to be back a little bit more in the actual political world. Uh, and I became aware of a job opening at Public Policy Polling, which is based in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, and I, I ended up taking that job. So I had sort of a naive idea that I would be able to um, to work in politics but kind of stay above the fray at working at a polling company. Yep. Um, but when I, when I took this job, it was right really when polling became really hot as a media topic, and we had all these polling aggregators working at various media companies, parsing polling data, uh, analyzing it, um, and you had, you know, polling became almost another extension of, of the partisan divide in America, where if you had, you know, polls that were good for one side were, were viewed as gospel by one side, and, and if they were bad for your side, you know, people would pick them apart or pick the the pollster apart. Quickly found that you know, polling 
uh, is just another another arena uh, uh, for political combat, for better or for worse. Yeah, and that's um, maybe more true now than it's ever been. And we uh, we want to get into a little bit about the work you do and, and trends you're seeing. Um, as you know, this podcast is um, focused on trying to help people um, with ideas and, and insights they can use to communicate more effectively and to use communications to create impact in the causes that, that we care about. What do you see as the biggest challenges for communicating effectively in this new in this new sort of political world that we live in as of, uh, I don't know, a month or so ago? Yeah, I mean, there's two big big challenges, I think, that, that have been festering for a while and have kind of exploded uh, maybe during the last presidential campaign and going into this new administration. One is that, you know, uh, everything is so polarized right right now, and it's been getting more and more that way. Um, <clears throat> people are so entrenched uh, on their side of the political fence. They're not willing to listen to the other side. Um, and we, we've, I'm sure we've all heard of that phenomenon. Somebody did a study where you can go to somebody with facts, with proven facts, and if it does not uh, back up their their predetermined political belief, it actually makes them double down on what they already believe. And the facts, you know, showing somebody facts that contradicts their their personal political beliefs actually backfires, which is really scary. And that plays into the other thing, which is that you know, the president now, well, and his supporters, and we saw this a lot throughout the presidential campaign in our polling data they're so they're so in tune with Donald Trump that he can say things that aren't true and and they'll they'll believe it no matter what it is we saw that over and over again during the campaign um you know we had people writing you know what's become known as fake news articles um and even Trump himself picked up on some of these and tweeted about them yeah. uh and and people believed it and you know, quick, quickly after the election, you know, people started realizing and delving into this, oh my gosh, this fake news seems to have had a really big impact on the election. And just as quickly as that sort of started to become understood by the media and the larger population, um, the term itself almost immediately became meaningless because any time, from that moment on, any time there was any news article that somebody didn't like, they'd say, oh, well, that's fake news. Uh, it's not true. Um, and Trump himself is one of the biggest proponents of doing this. If he's if he sees something that contradicts what he says or that he doesn't like, he'll just say, well, it's fake news. Don't listen to it. Um, so it's very difficult, I think, to communicate on an even playing field uh, in any way when when people are so, the country is, politics is so tribal right now. The country is so polarized. Facts don't matter. Trying to use facts can backfire, um, yeah. and the president of the United States, if he hears something he doesn't like, he just says it's fake news, and that's it. I think that those are things that we're all grappling with right now, and I don't know, I don't know what the solution is, but that's kind of the, those are the big challenges that I see. Yeah, absolutely, and the um, that sort of phenomenon you're referring to is sort of part of confirmation bias, right? Where people mm -hmm. search for information that kind of confirms your beliefs and then the i think the related thing is like the backfire effect yep y you know actually can be counterproductive um and for us a lot of that is about the messengers and about the message too of course but you know we can't have the same same people delivering the same messages as, as we have in the past um right right um 
you guys public policy polling um is really interesting because you guys do a good job of kind of working humor and into your um, work and being a little bit irreverent and i think um self-deprecating in a way that is is something we can all learn from not don't take our t- ourselves too seriously is that part of the brand or is that just something that's sort of seeped in based on the people who who work there uh it's, i think both i think i think it's something that we've kind of grown into over time uh tom jensen is the the dirt he runs the day-to-day operations at public policy polling and i think it's something that he uh b- believes in and uh, and it's definitely become part of our brand. It's something that people sort of expect of us now. Um, um, and we do it for a few different reasons. You know, it, it does help with media with media coverage. Um, you know, if something ridiculous happens in politics, that you know, ha- you know, just wait if wait a couple hours these days, and something ridiculous will happen. But uh, this was true throughout the presidential campaign as well, and even before that. Um, there weren't a lot of polling outfits that could quickly put that into a public poll that they paid for themselves and put it out to them, you know, for media coverage. And that's that's been part of our business model is to, you know, pick up on topical stuff, not be afraid to to ask questions that might be silly but are still, you know, born out of what's going on in the political environment right now. Um, and put it out there for media coverage, and it, it does help build our brand. Um, so that's one reason why we do it. But another reason why we do it is because politics is so self-serious. It is so there's so much fighting going on right now, you know, in Congress, among among staffers, among politicians themselves, among people on social media, that we really think it's important to bring some levity to it when we can um otherwise it's just people yelling at each other all the time <laughs> there's there's so many examples that i could point to of hilarious stuff that, that you guys did um you you guys were the first ones to start <laughs> to test the viability of uh the candidate d's nuts right in, in 2015 d's nuts yep yep he um he was a kid out of iowa he was like a 15 year old kid and he filed the papers with the federal <laughs> election commission and everything as an entity running for president and we caught wind of him, and and this is kind of like I like I was saying, it's sort of expected of us as a brand. We have a a very robust Twitter account with a lot of followers and a, a lot of fans on there. And somebody got got wind of this guy D's nuts, and they said, "Hey, you guys need to put this guy into a presidential poll." Um, and we did because a on its face, it's just it's pretty ridiculous and hilarious. But also, you know, there was a bigger point too, like. We, we, I, we put him in a national poll, and I think he got 7% between with Hillary, uh, Trump, and Dee's Nuts. And I think Dee's Nuts got 7%. And in retrospect, uh, that was that's very telling. I mean, that told us that there was a fairly large group of people that were not happy yeah. with the, main, the two main candidates. And if you gave them a third option, they would take it, no matter what it was, even if it was Dee's Nuts. Um, and that might have been a red flag, you know, in retrospect for the Clinton campaign. Um, I think they were expecting a lot of people to turn away from Trump because just because he was, you know, a goofy reality TV show guy and not a serious politician. Um, and in reality, we had a fairly large group of people saying, oh, I'll take these nuts over these over these two other people. Yeah. 
Well, um, and you guys also, I want to talk a little bit about the fake news. And I think um, public policy polling, a couple like fake polling memos last last year that people picked up on just reinforcing that fact that like people don't know what's real and what's not. Um, what do you think? Yeah. What do you think the, the effect of that's going to be in the future? Well, I mean, there were there were people online, there were people that didn't like PPP that were writing their own fake memos under our letterhead, you know, saying that we were being paid off by George Soros and we're an arm of the Clinton campaign and da 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 da. None of that being true at all, but those circulated those circulated on on social media, uh, and we and we had people, to, you know, some I think people made two or three of them, and they would keep coming back like you know there would be a blow up we'd get 50 people tweeting at us how, how you know explain this ppp mm-hmm. uh this proves that you're an arm of the democrats and you know on a certain level it was funny and we treated it like it was funny online but it, it did it was scary too because it kept coming back like you know next week like three people more people would discover it and you know it it wouldn't die uh it showed you that there was a group of people that were looking for uh you know stuff online that would prove what they thought which is that you know there was this big democratic conspiracy with all these arms uh to 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 prevent trump from succeeding the fake news phenomenon i mean that's something we're thinking about here how do you combat that and um you know showing people stories that that showing people real content is kind of the only way we think to, to counter that. But as you think about the, the election um, and being, you know, being a pollster, being from a, a polling organization, should we have seen this Trump thing coming? Like, should we have, should we have seen it more clearly now that you're looking back on it? I think so. I think everybody, it's easy to say that now that it's happened and kind of nobody was expecting it to happen, but I think a lot of signs were there all along, uh, you know, the high proportion of undecided voters, the high proportion of people picking a third-party candidate, and there's all these conventional wisdom things that people were telling themselves throughout the campaign uh, to make them think that, you know, everything was going to be fine if you were, you know, from a Democratic perspective, uh, you know. To the undecided voter thing, you know, you, people would say, well, you know, it, it always starts out high, and then as we get closer and closer to the election, nobody ends up voting for third-party candidates. Another another conventional wisdom thing that I think ended up not being true is is people were telling themselves, oh, you know, we may not get the exact Obama coalition out this year, but don't forget, you know, for the Democrats, you know, things are, are, are automatically always getting better for us year by year, election cycle by election cycle in terms of demographics, you know. America's always getting younger. America's always getting less white. So whatever drop-off we have from the Obama coalition is going to be offset by this slow march uh, of improved demographics for us. And I think that's another thing that turned out to be not true. I mean, it was a year when conventional wisdom was upended over and over and over again. And... Um, that was a big, a big way, a big way that it was. Yeah. What, and just like looking toward the future and, um, either drawing off of some of the work that your current clients are doing or, or things that you're thinking, what are, what are opportunities for us now, um, to, to communicate more effectively? I mean, in spite of those challenges we've been talking about, what do you see as Mm -hmm. opportunities? Well, I think, I think we need to look at what Trump did, how Trump was able to succeed. I think Trump was able, was able to succeed in a couple different ways. You know, he kept, he kept his communications pretty simple, right? He had three or four things that he was hammering on. He made them catchy. Uh, you know, we're going to build the wall. Guess who's going to pay for it? Mexico. That's right. Everything's going to be better. You know, 
we're going to bring the jobs back. Democrats are afraid to, I think sometimes are afraid to, and, you know, Democrats have been talking about jobs for a long time. But, you know, with all due respect to, to former President Obama, you know, he would he would go up and say things like, well, you know, uh, folks need to understand uh, these coal jobs are, a lot of these coal jobs are just never coming back. Uh, a lot of these manufacturing jobs are just never coming back. And he's probably right. I don't understand why you should be expected to win an election saying that. Why you would think people who live in in a poor town in in West Virginia or Ohio or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or Michigan um, would support a party saying, well, you know, all things being equal, this is just the way globalization works and we can't do anything about it. Um, Where you've got Trump saying, you know, actually visiting these towns, uh, visiting these small areas and saying, I get, I get it. I'm going to make your life better. Uh, that's something that I think was, has Democrats forgot to do. Um, I remember being, uh, I still am on the Trump email list now. Now he's just like selling inauguration hats and stuff. <laughs> but, of course, made in China. Yeah, but during the campaign, I kept getting these emails. We're based out of North Carolina and it'd say it'd be like come see mike pence in fayetteville uh come see donald trump in greenville um and these are smaller you know third level markets in in eastern north carolina uh and i was sitting there at my desk saying oh these dummies like don't they know that raleigh's the biggest media market uh why aren't they going to charlotte like when you're campaigning for president you want to get big media coverage like that's how you win um, but what they were doing, and I'm sure they did this all over, is they're going to these smaller areas, these rural areas, um, maybe that hadn't been touched by presidential campaigns that much, uh, and they were going into these communities and saying, hey, we're going to fix things. Um, and it's painful to recognize that as as a Democrat, as a member of a party whose sort of stated goal is to is to help help those who are less fortunate. But the reality, I think, is that the Trump uh, operation did that in a much more effective way than Democrats did. Um, so I, you know, I think, I think we need to remember how to talk to people, um, and, and try and, and try, you know, politics is about winning elections is about figuring out what people want and giving it to them. Democrats have become a little bit too enamored with data and algorithms and spreadsheets and voting number crunching rather than remembering to talk to people like a human. Yeah, absolutely. I think I agree. Do you remember how many conversations we had during the campaign about these rallies that Trump was having and making fun of the idea of just all he did was just have rallies and we were like, yeah, we're sophisticated campaign people. Like, we know don't don't they know they need a ground game? Don't they know, you know, yeah. you've got to be you got to be knocking on doors and it turned, you know, I, I can't say why our ground game wasn't what we thought it was, but it definitely seems like the passion was on the Trump side. Yeah. Um, so we, we need to figure out how we can get people to be passionate again. Um, I, I think it's, I think it starts with, you know, talking to them directly about things that impact their lives. And I think doing it in a direct way, I mean, I mean you probably could speak to this a lot more than I could, but I'm just going to give an example of something that I saw on Twitter the other day from a, de- a Democratic politician. I won't say who it is, uh, but they tweeted, surely we can agree that every child in the U.S. should have access to a quality education, 
so they can get a good job that pays well. Now, I think surely we can agree that all that's just true. Yep. But to, to me, that's, that sentence just sounds like such boilerplate, uh, focus-grouped pablum, you know? It's like, it's so, so, there are so many qualifications there. Starting with surely we can agree, it's almost like you're asking someone, like, please don't you agree with me on this. <laughs> right. Everyone, every child in the U.S. should have access to a quality education so they can get a good job that pays well. There's all these qualifications. It's like, you know, and I and I look at I look back at the Bernie Sanders campaign that was able to generate a lot of enthusiasm, and one of his main things was just, hey, free college. Yep. You know, free college. Bam. That's it. Like no apology, no reason, no extra clauses. Um, and people really responded to that. Uh, and I think I think people right now are looking for directness. They're looking for somebody to speak to them directly uh, about about issues that they're struggling with. And I think Democrats fall into a trap a lot of doing so many qualifications on things. And you, you think if you keep adding in these, these words and these clauses to kind of explain yourself as you go, that people are more likely to support you. But I think, at least right now, people want, people want directness. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, that's sure what Trump did. With the travel ban, you know, it's pretty much a 50-50 split in the polling as to whether people support or oppose it, but uh, he was able to win anyway, I think, because he, he was just so direct about it. He'd say, you know, we're going to put a ban on it so we can find out what the hell is going on. And I think people responded to that kind of emotional directness that I think Democrats um, shy away from sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's a really good... Um I think lesson to just keep it simple, right? And be, be clear and simple and direct and authentic. Yeah. Um, and, and don't apologize, um, for what, you, you know, for what you're trying to do. I don't think we should apologize. Jim, thanks so much for, for joining achieve great things. We appreciate you coming on and to chat with us. Okay. Thanks RJ. Enjoyed it. Thanks for tuning in to episode two. Check us out on iTunes and you can follow us on Twitter at Hadaway.com. See you next time. So let us begin anew, remembering on both sides that civility is not a sign of weakness and sincerity is always subject to proof. Let both sides explore what problems unite us instead of belaboring those problems which divide us.